What are the things you need to know about your manufacturing technology initiative? That's what we're going to cover today in episode number 148 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control episode number 148. This is the manufacturing technology episode. We're going to cover all things related to digital transformation as we always do in this podcast, including the people process, technology, and strategy aspects of transformation. But today we're going to focus on the manufacturing aspects of of digital transformation. So thank you for being here today. Uh, With me as always is my co-host, Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Excited for this conversation. Yes, should be a really good one. And uh, we're, thank you all for joining here today. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And we do this for clients all over the world, including those in the manufacturing sector. So we're going to really hone in on manufacturing technology today. We've got a great episode. We're going to cover some questions from the audience specific to manufacturing technology. We've also got a couple hot topics related to manufacturing tech. We're going to talk about next generation or or the next generation of manufacturing technology, as well as examples of additive manufacturing technology. So we'll, we'll cover those hot topics along with some audience questions in the opening segment. And then the rest of the segment or the rest of the episode, I should say, is going to get into a number of case studies and uh, discussions with various team members from our, our team here at third stage. Uh, First, we're going to get into a couple case studies uh, with Scott Jenke and Cameron Carpenter. Um, two different uh, case studies related to manufacturing selection of software as well as implementation of software at a manufacturer. So we're going to cover, dive into those case studies with those two team members and sort of have them share their lessons learned and war stories from those those examples and and, uh, client experiences. And then later in the show, we'll play you a few clips, a couple clips, I should say, that cover um, trends in digital manufacturing technology. Um, So we'll we'll talk about um, all the technology and things you should be aware of as it relates to digital manufacturing. And we'll also talk about some of the terms and definitions you should be aware of as it relates to manufacturing technology. And then finally, uh, last but not least on the show, we'll have Mitch Otteson, who is going to talk about system architecture and design in manufacturing. So a lot of stuff that's going to get technical. It's going to talk about change management and selection and program management of transformations, all kinds of stuff, but it's all related to manufacturing. So really looking forward to it. So to start, what are some of the manufacturing specific questions that we've received here lately, Kyler? Absolutely. Well, manufacturing is is definitely a hot topic when it comes to specific technology or enterprise technology. And our audience had some great questions um, from not only our third stage content, but your content as well, Eric, on manufacturing specifically. But before we jump into them, I just want to remind everyone that we do ask Eric questions live on our Ground Control podcast each week. 
So if you do have questions for him or, or hot topics that you'd like us to address, please pop them in our comments wherever you consume our content and we'll be able to um, ask him in real time. So um, you can also drop them wherever you're watching or consuming this podcast or video um, as well. And we'll, we'll, pull, we'll pull them up to ask him. So let's get into it. So this question, very top line, but a really good question and, you know, a kind of a hot topic in the industry. How do I know if I need an MES system or an ERP system? They seem to be the same, but a little bit different in a manufacturing heavy environment. Yeah, that's a really good question and a common question in the manufacturing world. Um, I'd say, first of all, the lines are not always distinct, depending on what technology or what vendors technology you're, you're considering. In some cases, enterprise resource planning or ERP systems will include an MES or manufacturing execution system sort of module or function within the overall ERP system. But there's, I'd say it's more common to see manufacturers use a standalone MES system that will then integrate with the back office ERP system. And probably the simplest way to differentiate between the two is that ERP systems are generally going to handle more of your back office stuff like finance, accounting, um, inventory management will certainly handle a lot of supply chain stuff, warehouse management, demand planning, um, your Salesforce automation, things of that nature. There's different modules within most ERP systems that can do all that stuff. But when it comes to the, the real heavy shop floor automation type stuff and tracking work in progress and, and tracking every nook and cranny and step along the way in your manufacturing processes, that's generally something that ERP systems are not good at unless the ERP provider has gone out and acquired an MES system that does it well. Um, so that's where you see a lot of standalone um, MES systems um, that are provided by a lot of some of the common technology ERP vendors, as well as um, some companies like Rockwell Automation and Siemens and others have MES systems that they've developed themselves. Um, so those are the main two differences, but it's oftentimes, or, or it's occasionally a case where it, the, the lines are blurred and you can find an ERP system that can do MES as well, although it's not as common as having a standalone. And it sounds like it's the classic answer of it depends, right? And, yes. and it, and so when you go in and talk to a client where the team goes in to talk to a client, is that part of helping in that evaluation of whether you're looking at an MES versus an ERP? It is. Yeah. I mean, usually you're going to get some basic manufacturing shop floor automation type of functionality from an ERP vendor. Um, but it's a matter of, to your point, it depends, depends on how deep you want to go and how much you want to mm -hmm. automate your shop floor and how much visibility you feel like you need. Sometimes uh, organizations find that the, um, the core ERP system isn't going to handle it very well. Absolutely. Um, and if you want more information on this, um, Eric does have a lot of MES versus ERP content on his YouTube channel. So if you head over there, you can really kind of get into more of a granular um, uh, understanding of between the two, but a very good question um, as well. This question kind of goes into that, but on a deeper level, um, this user says on your top MES systems, which we'll actually listen to later in this episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, they want to know, we are a global manufacturing heavy organization, but we struggle with standardization because we have so many facilities globally that kind of do things on their own terms. How would you recommend going about that? Do we need to standardize the processes before looking at a technology or can a technology help us do that? 
Yeah, good question. I'd say it's a bit of both, but I tend to err on the side of leading with business process first and then find the technology that's going to support it. Um, now, certainly, you know, there's a there's 100% certainty that the software is going to help you define how to standardize really detailed micro processes. But when you talk about just sort of your macro processes, your if you think of it in, in the terms of uh, the level one, two, three, four, five nomenclature, which a lot of organizations use, level one is high level, really macro processes. Level five is uh, the really detailed step-by-step transactions within a system. And then obviously levels two, three, and four in between. Um, generally, you'd want to define up to level two or three of your business processes first, you know, as a start to provide sort of a blueprint or roadmap for how you imagine or envision using technology to better enable whatever your goals and objectives are. Once you've selected the technology, then you can get down to levels, you know, three, four, five, and get down to the micro levels of detail and defining what that's going to look like. But the difference there, the key nuance is that you've already defined what the general processes are prior to selecting and implementing technology. Once you've selected and implemented the technology, that's where you define and refine the more detailed micro processes and workflows. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And is that a common thing that you see a lot when we when we go into manufacturing heavy organizations or maybe global organizations that have many different facilities and things like that? Is there uh, is that kind of a, a common theme of the lack of standardization or kind of a, a different siloed operation on each side? Yeah, it's very common. So whoever asked this question, you're not alone. Uh, most organizations, most, <laughs> most manufacturers we work with have silos and disparate systems, different ways of doing things. And it that's just a normal consequence of business growth. You grow organically, you go acquire other companies, you enter new markets. And all along the way, no one's really typically sitting back and saying, wait, how are we going to do this all in a very standardized fashion? Usually what happens is through the evolution of growth, a manufacturer looks up and says, wait a minute, I've got a million different ways of doing things. I want to do things a little bit more consistently so I can, you know, just be more consistent, provide better quality, be more profitable, um, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's very common for sure. Absolutely. Definitely a, a great question. Um, and the last one I'll end with today is a really interesting question. I think a common one that a lot of our audience deals with, especially in manufacturing heavy organizations. So this user said, we are a very heavy manufacturing and technical organization. We see a need for new technology, but I've watched a lot of your content, Eric, and it seems like we need to layer in organizational change management. But my business leaders don't feel as that's something that's necessary. How would you address this within our organization? It's a good question. I, I think it unfortunately is more common, that dynamic that you just described, as far as the leadership not recognizing the need for change management. I'd say it's a broad generalization, which is always risky, but I'll make it anyway. It is a broad generalization. If I were to generalize manufacturers and manufacturing manufacturing leadership, I'd say they're more likely and more susceptible to resist the idea of change management or to, to not maybe a better way to phrase it is to not recognize the need or the value behind change management. Um, and this is, you know, I think this is pretty understandable, quite frankly, because I'm not saying it's right, but I understand why that happens because a lot of times leadership kind of comes up the ranks. It's a blue collar type of organization many times or most of the time. And there's just a blue collar mentality of we're just going to do it, right? We're the leaders and we're just going to get this done and we're going to roll up our sleeves and make change happen. And that's totally understandable. But the reality is, when the rubber meets the road, you're going to have issues along the way, not because people don't want to work hard or not because people don't want to support the project, 
but because they don't understand and they don't um, grasp the processes or they don't, um, you know, they, the user adoption suffers, that sort of thing. So I think the key here is, you know, you speak, you have to speak their language and talk about, you know, the common goals that we're all trying to accomplish and how change management will help enable that. So in other words, we've got to change people's mindset of change management being this kumbaya based, touchy feely, soft thing that is real nebulous and just makes people feel good. We have to get out of that mindset and position it clearly as a, you know, a, a driver of business value and a driver of manufacturing improvement, continuous improvement or TQM or whatever, you know, whatever your shop uses, if it's Six Sigma or total quality management or whatever kind of language you speak as a manufacturer, you want to tie change management back to that as, a, as an enabler of those things and demonstrate how that can happen, which is easier said than done, but you have to, you just have to change the mindset. You can't go in with that ivory tower mentality behind change management because that usually doesn't fly at manufacturers, especially small and mid-sized manufacturers, family-owned manufacturers, that sort of thing. Absolutely. I, I love the idea of speaking the right language, um, you know, and making the impact um, on that way. And and also, you know, it's great that you're starting to reference a lot of Eric's videos. And another resource I'll just provide this user and the rest of our community is our secret sauce, which is our guide to organizational change management, which will pop up here as a QR code. It's also listed as a link. Um, it's a free download and it basically walks you through all of these different things. Um, to make sure that you can not only have that conversation, but understand the impact, especially in an organization that that might not be a forefront strategy that's existing. So um, great questions. Um, also turn to the audience to answer that question. If you are a part of a, a, a heavy manufacturing organization or that's been something that's been your experience, um, join the conversation. Definitely comment um, and make sure we can, we can garner that um, conversation as well. So Great questions. Thank you for further amazing questions. Just as a reminder, you can leave the questions wherever you consume Third Stage and Eric's content, um, and we will um, use them for future episodes. So, but a lot of hot topics coming out related to these questions um, that we're going to cover here in just a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Some really good ones. We're going to, uh, next, we're going to talk about next generation or the next generation of marketing, or not marketing, this is totally off topic, manufacturing. We're going to talk about the the uh, next generation of manufacturing technology. We'll talk about examples of additive manufacturing technology. And then later in the show, after our hot topics, we'll get into a couple of case studies around software selection and implementation, as well as trends in digital manufacturing and systems, as well as system architecture and design in manufacturing. So a lot of stuff to cover here today. So be sure to stick around. We're going to get to it all here today. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get to these hot topics. We'll be right back here listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 148. This is the Manufacturing Technology episode. Thank you for being here today. This is an exciting, uh, very focused, hyper-focused uh, version of, of our podcast here this week. We, we tend to touch on all these topics throughout, uh, throughout the various episodes, which, by the way, you can find at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Um, but this is the first time we've done just a manufacturing-focused and dedicated uh, episode, so we're excited for it here today. Um, and you find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com, so be sure to check it out. Um, so we've got a couple hot topics here. There's sounds super interesting. What do you have in store for us, Kyler? Yeah, and the, and the cool part about manufacturing um, is that it it is so broad in the fact that it covers a lot of different things that you know you can take a lot of these hot topics and scale them to other verticals too, um, especially when we're talking about the next generation of technology. So this one specifically is about the next generation of manufacturing tech. And I actually wanted to give you an example of some of the actual funding that we're seeing for specific platforms that focus on enterprise manufacturing technology. So this one I want to highlight is called Keychain, and it's an AI-powered platform that really streamlines the process for consumer brands and retailers to identify manufacturing partners. And it's launched in just seed funding rounds over $18 million, which is pretty impressive in looking at what does it look like as far as specific best-of-breed solutions for manufacturing tech. And so what the challenge of this platform really addresses is a lot of self-manufacturing or smaller to mid-sized manufacturing and the rise of those private label products that can really drive up costs of goods and lower um, competitive natures in getting those raw goods. Hmm. So the platform actually focuses on um, the U.S. market targeting food and beverage brands right now, but intends to go into other categories in regions like Canada and Mexico. Um, so it, it showcases kind of the, the movement to these really focused platforms around automating manufacturing specific entities within the organization. And this one specifically is something you talk a lot about is the importance of diversification of vendors or partners to ensure to stay competitive and to, you know, um, kind of loophole any supply chain challenges as well. So I wanted to kind of bring that to get your reaction of the movement to this next generation of enterprise technology around AI powered manufacturing. Yeah, I think it's a interesting, uh, in, in a very interesting movement that I'm very optimistic of or bullish on mm -hmm. because I think, um, you know, you think about manufacturing organizations in general and just manufacturing processes and you have you have so much that happens on a shop floor where you're capturing all this data. You've got internet of things oftentimes, or you've got all these devices that are capturing um, you just different pieces of data throughout your manufacturing and your supply chain. So if you can get the right technology to really be able to process and make use of that data, um, that can be very powerful. And so I think it sounds like that's what some of these specialized providers are, are doing is they're finding a way to do that as well as to provide some of the general automation and, and workflow sorts of capabilities that a lot of times a, a broader system like an ERP system isn't going to be able to do well. It's going to be pretty watered down or pretty basic that doesn't give you the depth you need in that area. So I think it's a, it's a powerful movement. And I, I think you'll continue to see more of that as uh, technology evolves, data evolves, AI evolve, evolves, all that stuff. Do you think that integration is really a main pillar for a lot of these companies to receive that VC funding when they are in kind of innovation phase? Because it seems like from our research in a lot of these newer systems that they the first 
the first question is how will it integrate with the rest of my data in the organization? I know you talk a lot about interoperability and digital enterprise operations, the importance of that holistic view. Do you think that's a main component in launching these new platforms? Yeah, I mean, it, and that's a great point. It, the integration, the kind of that interoperability um, concept is um, gaining traction in the marketplace too. So I think that's something else that uh, these vendors are able to provide to the marketplace that's sort of that's sort of missing right now in many ways. Very cool. Well, definitely something that that we'll keep an eye on, and I'm sure you know um, we'll see a lot of these in in Eric's trend videos that we um, we talk about later in the episode um, as far as where the industry is going. But I want to talk about another trend that we've seen, which is additive manufacturing technologies and kind of the business case around those. Because a lot of like we talk about in digital transformation, it can't really be a tangible thing until it's activated within a specific organization. So I wanted to bring some real live examples of what that's looking like in kind of the forefront of activation within the enterprise. So we talked about this a decade ago when it when we talked about things like 3D printing and that considered like so far fetched to actually being viable or being able to be executed within a business. But that perception has really dramatically changed with the advancements in companies, for example, like GE Additive and HP, who have really developed a lot of new technology around this. And, and one of these is we do a lot in the metals industry here at Third Stage. So that's exciting for us to kind of see this new technology be actually activated. But the metal printers that are capable of creating durable objects compared to those that have been machine or molded plastics. So these specific technologies provide versatility in creating those customized products that we kind of talked about in our first hot topic, like footwear or play a crucial role during the pandemic in developing manufactured personal protection equipment or PEE as we call it, or ventilator parts was, was something we really talked about. And we've really seen this movement go mainstream. We're talking about companies like GM, NASA, Boeing, that, that have recognized additive manufacturing and invested significantly in it. And NASA specifically, which, you know, we obviously, um, the space theme is near and dear to our hearts here at Third Stage, has explored the possibility of using those specialized 3D printers on the moon or Mars to con uh, construct roads or buildings using localized materials. Uh, they've also, it's worth noting, and included creations around hand transplants or even face transplants, the construction of household utilities in manufacturing. So they're really touching a lot of different industries and marketplace. So knowing that we've, we've seen this evolution of technology, I had to bring it to you, Eric, to kind of get your reaction to it and share in the excitement of what that might look like, but also offer maybe some considerations when looking at these new technologies or being on the forefront of kind of 4.0 manufacturing. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you, that last part was really important, just the industry 4.0 uh, aspect of uh, manufacturing. And I have a, we won't get to it today in this episode, but you can go to my YouTube channel and, and uh, find uh, one video that talks about industry 4.0, uh, sort of what is it and gives it kind of an overview of it. But I think these these emerging technologies and both hot topics that you're bringing up here today are really sort of enabling industry 4.0 and doing really cool stuff that, um, you know, is really, that's, that's what's so cool about manufacturing in general is there's so much innovation that tends to happen. And it's just, you know, we have so many clients in the space. It's so fascinating. And uh, it's my favorite part of our job, honestly, is mm -hmm. to go visit manufacturing shop floors and see how this stuff gets done. And just the, 
the thought and the, the thought process, the engineering that goes into it, the technology that goes into it, and certainly these sorts of emerging technologies that could make these processes even better, the ones you're talking about, um, that's, you know, just taking us further down that path of industry 4.0. So I think it's uh, super fascinating. It's really cool. It is cool. And the, the crossover at, at verticals, you mentioned some of our community. We recently held our annual digital stratosphere conference, which is one of our, our top industry thought leadership pieces. And we met a, a new um, client there that actually made Formula One racing cars. And they've moved into aerospace manufacturing because they figured out if you could build a really efficient, um, fast car that is durable, guess what else you can build? a rocket or those types of different things. So it's it's very interesting to see manufacturers kind of cross into different verticals or see new business opportunities. And that's a lot of things that we do here at Third Stage is kind of help develop. How do you get inventory for that? What does that look like um, on your system and processes? So very cool to see kind of these, these new frontiers in the industry. And if you are kind of looking at that or just looking at, you know, new ways to innovate in general, this episode is really for you because it kind of has a sprinkling of everything from basic terms and definitions to, you know, actual case studies of how this has been implemented within organizations before. Mm -hmm. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to getting into some of these case studies too. That'll be really cool. So um, we've got a case study around manufacturing software evaluation and selection. Um, That's going to be with Cameron Carpenter. Um, And then we'll also get to uh, the implementation case study, manufacturing technology implementation case study. Uh, with Scott Janke from the third stage consulting team. Then later, after those two guests are on and we play these clips of these two uh, case studies, we're also going to get into trends in digital manufacturing um, technology and systems. And then finally, we'll get into some uh, system architecture and design topics in manufacturing. We have a whole case study around that with Mitch Otteson from the third stage consulting team. So lots of case studies, lots of manufacturing stuff still to come. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more transformation ground control. We'll be right back. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology-independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 148. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday. You can look at past episodes, view or listen to past episodes at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this episode is the manufacturing technology episode. And speaking of manufacturing technology, we are going to play you a video clip here from my YouTube channel of the top MES systems or manufacturing execution systems in the marketplace. Um, Kyler and I were just talking a few minutes ago earlier in this episode about MES systems, and we're going to share with you now what some of those leading systems are. This is our independent technology agnostic ranking of top MES systems in the market. So let's roll the clip. Coming in at number 10 is E2 Shop System. And E2 is a standalone shop floor manufacturing execution system. And the reason I point this out is because some of the other systems in our top 10 list are 
systems that do other things in addition to MES, but E2 focuses exclusively on shop floor automation. Now, some of the advantages of E2 include the fact that it can handle make-to-order complex manufacturing environments. So if you're an organization that isn't selling vanilla, high-volume types of products, but instead you're selling custom, lower-volume types of products, E2 can be a great fit for you. In addition, the product is relatively simple to use when we compare it to other systems in the marketplace. And E2, given that it's a smaller software vendor, tends to have better customer service and it tends to give their customers a little bit more attention than what we see with some of the other bigger vendors in our top 10 list. Now, just like every other system we're gonna talk about here in the top 10 list, E2 also has weaknesses in addition to strengths. First and foremost, it's a product that can be expensive over time. The cost of the product can be a bit higher than some of the others in our top 10 list. The reporting isn't as strong as some of the other systems in our top 10 list and the general breadth of capability isn't as strong as some of the others in our top 10 list. But if you're a make-to-order or engineer-to-order manufacturer, E2 might be a good solution to consider. Coming in at number nine is SAP ME. ME stands for Manufacturing Execution, and SAP is a broader enterprise-wide technology. So SAP ME is one module or one system within the SAP suite of products. So if you're a manufacturer that's looking not only to manufacturing, but also looking at other parts of your operations like warehouse management, financial management, inventory management, CRM, et cetera, SAP ME might be a good one to consider. Now, some of the strengths of ME include the fact that it can support highly scalable environments, so larger, more complex manufacturing environments. It also is very good at providing detailed production visibility into operations as well as reporting and analytics. Those are some of the strengths of the SAP ME system. Now, some of the downside weaknesses of the product include the fact that there can be a steep learning curve for learning the product. It's not as easy to use and not as easy to learn as some of the other products in the marketplace. Now, to be fair, that's because it is a very powerful tool, which comes along with a certain amount of complexity and a certain learning curve. The data archiving and data management can be more complex and difficult, but again, it's because it requires so much in the form of data in order to handle the complex capabilities that it offers. And finally, it's a product that's not ideal for smaller, mid-sized businesses. It's generally gonna fit better for larger, more complex organizations. If you're a smaller, mid-sized organization, or if you just don't have that complex of a manufacturing environment, SAP ME may be overkill for you, and it may actually end up costing you a lot more than it does deliver business benefits. But having said all that, that's enough to land SAP ME at number nine on our list. Coming in, number eight is Fishbowl Manufacturing. And Fishbowl is a product that specializes more for small and mid-sized manufacturing shops. So if you're a smaller manufacturer, you don't have super complex needs, you don't need all the complexities and all the robust capabilities of, say, an SAP, which we had just talked about, then Fishbowl might be a good option for you. Now, the biggest upside for Fishbowl are going to be its ease of use. It's not as complex, it's not as hard to learn as some of the other systems in the marketplace. And as I mentioned before, it's also tailored and targeted to small and mid-sized manufacturers. So if you fit that profile, Fishbowl could be a great fit for you. Now, some of the downside risk of Fishbowl include the fact that it's not built for larger organizations. So if you are a larger organization or more complex manufacturer, you're probably gonna outgrow the needs of Fishbowl pretty quickly. Some of the reporting and analytics are weak compared to other reporting and analytic capabilities of some of the other systems in the marketplace. 
And finally, the product is not an all-inclusive system. So if you are looking for a system that can do more than just the shop floor management and the manufacturing execution, then you may want to look to one of the other systems in our top 10 list that are more broader enterprise-wide technologies that can also integrate to financials and other parts of your business. But having said all of that, that's enough to land Fishbowl number eight on our list. Coming in at number seven is manufacturing D365, which is often used by manufacturers to automate their shop floors. Now, some of the benefits or the strengths of D365 include the fact that it's a Microsoft product, so it has that Microsoft look and feel that many of us are used to, and that can make learning and adoption a bit easier in many cases. It's also a pretty robust product, so it's a good balance between some of the smaller vendors in our top 10 list that cater to small and mid-sized organizations which Microsoft D365 can do, but it also is scalable. So it's something that can grow with your organization. And if you are a larger, more complex manufacturer, D365 can typically scale for that size and complexity. And then finally, the other big strength of Microsoft Dynamics 365 is the fact that it's easy to configure, customize, and integrate. It's a pretty open platform. It has that Microsoft flexibility that a lot of us are used to. And so that can be a strength of the product as well, especially if you have unique needs and you know you're going to need to tailor the software to fit your needs. Now, the downside risk of D365 is because it is a broad, big system that does more than just manufacturing execution, it creates a lot of complexities. It can take time to implement. The setup and the learning curve can be a bit difficult, at least just in terms of establishing and, and implementing the software. And finally, the cost can be a bit higher than some of the other products that we considered in our top 10 list. So all of these things considered are enough to land Microsoft Dynamics 365 at number seven on our list. Coming in at number six is Oracle NetSuite. And Oracle NetSuite isn't well known in the manufacturing space and it's not considered a really strong manufacturing system, but for more vanilla, higher volume, lower complexity sorts of manufacturing environments, NetSuite can be a great option. Especially if you're a small to mid-sized organization, that's looking to implement an enterprise-wide technology, NetSuite can be a great option because it does everything that an enterprise needs from financials to inventory management to warehouse management to other functions, including manufacturing. Now, some of the benefits of NetSuite include the fact that it's a SaaS or a cloud-based system that allows you to deploy the technology a bit faster, although learning the technology and actually deploying it into your business takes a bit longer, but the technical implementation and setup itself can be a bit faster than some of the other systems in our top 10 list. It's also a product that integrates with other systems fairly easily. So if you do need to tie into any legacy or regulatory based systems, NetSuite can be a good option. Now the downside of NetSuite is that it can include some costs that creep up on you over time. So the recurring subscription costs and all the escalators and kickers that kick in over time as the company grows and as you increase transaction volumes, that can actually increase and escalate fairly quickly or more quickly than you might be comfortable with. So that's something to fully understand is what is your total cost of ownership in the long term for using a product like NetSuite. Another downside is that NetSuite is known and notorious for difficult implementations in that they typically don't provide very hands-on or robust implementation capabilities from NetSuite themselves. Now, having said that, there are third-party partners out there that specialize in NetSuite, and there's an increasing number of them that can help mitigate that risk. And then finally, probably the biggest risk of NetSuite or the biggest weakness 
is that if you are a complex manufacturer or if you anticipate growing and scaling to become a more complex manufacturer, NetSuite's a system that you're more likely to outgrow than some of the other systems in our top 10 list. But having said all of this, and especially if we factor in the adoption rate of NetSuite, which is very high for small and mid-sized organizations, this is enough for NetSuite to land number six on our list. Coming in at number five on our list is Aptian. And Aptian is a software vendor that's actually grown up through the acquisition of several different manufacturing-based ERP systems. And manufacturing is their core area of focus. They don't do a whole lot outside of manufacturing. Um, one of the strongest areas of their focus is food and beverage manufacturing. So if you're a food and beverage manufacturer, Aptian might actually be higher on your list. But in general, if you're any sort of manufacturer, Aptian might be one you consider. Now, part of the strength or one of the strengths of the product is A, that you have an exclusive focus on manufacturing, so the software is built for manufacturers. It's also user-friendly and highly customizable compared to other systems in our top 10 list. And finally, it's a full-blown ERP system. So Aptian doesn't just do manufacturing execution. It also does financials, inventory management, supply chain, warehouse management, et cetera. So if you're looking for a more complete solution that does not just manufacturing, but also integrates to other sorts of business processes, Aptian might be worth considering. So along with the strengths come a couple of weaknesses of Aptian. And one is that the product is harder to configure and set up when compared to other systems in the marketplace, or at least that's the feedback we get from some of our clients. And when compared to other software vendors and the frequency of updates to the software, Aptian tends to be a little slower than some of the other products when it comes to R&D and getting upgrades and updates out to their customers. So that's something to consider as well, especially if you're the type of organization that wants to be on the latest and greatest in terms of advancements and R&D dollars being invested in new technologies. But having said all of that, that's enough to land Aptian in number five on our list. Coming in at number four is Infor. And if you haven't heard of Infor, they're actually one of the largest software vendors in the world. I believe they're number one behind SAP Oracle and Microsoft. And Infor also tends to focus on manufacturing, which is why they've rated so highly in our top 10 list. Now, some of the benefits of Infor's MES capabilities include the fact that it's relatively easy to learn, has a relatively easy user interface to learn and understand. It's fairly customizable, more customizable than many of the systems in our top 10 list. And there's constant improvements and updates to the technologies. So it's a vendor that tends to push out improvements and updates and invest very heavily in manufacturing R&D, which can be a benefit to you if you're one of their customers. And finally, Infor is a full-blown ERP system. So if you're looking for capabilities outside of manufacturing, Infor might be a good consideration. Now, some of the weaknesses of the product include the fact that if you have multiple locations and multiple shop floors and manufacturing facilities, it can be somewhat limited in its ability to handle a breadth of different processes and functions. So it's not exactly suitable for multiple locations or as suitable as some of the other systems in our top 10 list. The yearly licensing is known to be somewhat cumbersome and costly, although that pricing model is evolving as they migrate more to Infor Cloud Suite, which is more of a cloud-based, subscription-based model. But the pricing is a bit confusing to some of our customers. And finally, the overall cost of Infor can be a bit higher than some of the other systems in our top 10 list. But having said all of that is enough to land Infor at number four on our list. Coming in at number three is Epicor Advanced MES. 
And if you haven't heard of Epicor, Epicor is another software vendor that focuses very heavily on the manufacturing space. So MES is one of the capabilities that they've really doubled down on over the years. Now, some of the benefits of using Epicor, in addition to the fact that it's focused on manufacturing, is first of all, it's a product that's relatively easy to use. The user interface is easy to learn and pick up when you compare it to other systems in our list. The product is also highly customizable and there's a lot of add-ons available to give you the capabilities you might need that aren't necessarily inherent in the core product. And finally, they give you more deployment options than a lot of other software vendors in our top 10 list. So in other words, you can deploy the software on-premise or in the cloud, which a lot of organizations like to have that choice or that flexibility, or at the very least to know that they can switch back and forth depending on what their needs are in the future. Now, some of the downside weaknesses of Epicor include, first of all, the fact that it can be hard to find some of the more advanced features. So while on one hand it is a system that's easier to use and learn, some of the more advanced capabilities are a bit harder to figure out. So really making sure that you train your people and that they fully understand the capabilities of the software is even more important for Epicor than other types of systems. In addition, the reporting tends to take some time to set up and the system itself tends to be a bit slower in terms of performance than other systems in the marketplace. So all that being said, that's enough to land Epicor Advanced MES at number three on our list. Coming in at number two is IQMS. And IQMS is a software vendor that has a very large manufacturing install base. In fact, most of our clients that choose IQMS are in the manufacturing space. So some of the unique strengths of the product include the fact that it is very scalable. So if you're a high growth, smaller or mid-sized manufacturer and you anticipate being a large one in the future, or you at least anticipate some high levels of growth, IQMS can be a good one that can be simple enough to start out when you're smaller, but can also scale up for as you grow and as you become more complex and your needs evolve over time. The product also has very robust real-time monitoring features. So it provides better visibility into real-time data which not all the systems can do as well as IQMS. And then of course, the third strength that I'll point out is the fact that it does focus on manufacturing. So it is a product that's largely built for manufacturing, whereas some of the other systems in our top 10 list, yes, they can do manufacturing, but they're also trying to be everything to everyone else at the same time. So it's in many cases a strength to know that you've got a vendor that's focused on your vertical. Now, some of the downside risk of IQMS include the fact that the cost can be a bit higher than some of the other software vendors in our list. The reporting can be somewhat cumbersome and complicated, so it's not as intuitive, not as easy to set up as some of the other reporting capabilities of some of the other systems in our list. And it's been known within the community that some customers have trouble with upgrades and updates to the software. So they are frequent and sometimes that can cause disruptions to, to the operations. And that's something we hear a bit more often in this software vendor vertical than in other software vendors in our top 10 list. But having said all that, that's enough to land IQMS at number two on our list. Coming in at number one is Plex Systems. And Plex is a product that is built for manufacturing. And one of the unique aspects of Plex is the fact that it was built in the cloud about 20 years ago. So while many software vendors and MES providers are just now trying to migrate their old on-premise systems to the cloud, Plex has been in the cloud for quite some time. So they have a head start on that whole cloud migration. So it's a cloud-based solution. It's focused on manufacturing. Those are two of the biggest strengths of the product. And some of the other strengths include the fact that it's easy to use. It has a very slick user interface and it's easy for employees to learn. 
And Plex also has a lower cost than many of the software vendors in our list, which means you can get a better ROI and better value for that investment in their technology. Now, even though it's number one, Plex also does have its downside weaknesses, which are worth noting. First is that even though it's easy to use and it's got a slick interface, sometimes there are parts of the workflows that aren't as intuitive as others. And so it's a bit inconsistent in its usability and its overall aesthetic appeal of the user interface. It's also been known to be prone to bugs because perhaps they're a smaller vendor. They're not one of the biggest vendors in our list. There's just not as much support in R&D dollars going into fixing those bugs and making sure that the bugs are worked out before it's released. But having said that, we haven't seen any situations where organizations have been completely shut down or materially disrupted as a result of some of those bugs. And then finally, some of the implementation partner capabilities are a bit limited with Plex when you compare it to some of the other systems in our top 10 list. So if you're looking for third-party providers or VARs that can help you implement the solution, your options are a bit more limited. So if you do choose Plex, you want to make sure you really think through and understand what your options are and make sure you have a clear plan and a clear roadmap for how you're going to deploy the technology. But having said all of that, that's enough to land Plex at number one. All right, so that is the ranking of top 10 manufacturing execution systems in the marketplace. Hopefully that gives you a flavor or sense of what some of the leading technologies are out there in the MES space. And as it relates to choosing technology, if that's where your mindset is, uh, our next guest is going to be Cameron Carpenter, who's going to talk about manufacturing technology selection, software selection. So how do you evaluate and select the right software? We shared with you a top 10 list, but obviously that's not going to help you get the job done. It may give you a starting point, but it's not going to get the job done for you. So we're going to dive into that a little bit more detail of how you might go about that. So we're going to have Cameron on in the moment, and then we'll have Scott Janke on to talk about how to manage implementations of software in manufacturing environments. And then we'll get into trends and terms and definitions of manufacturing systems later in the show. And then last, uh, we'll have another guest on and another case study to talk about system architecture and design and manufacturing. So stick around for that. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book, and it, it was my attempt to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful in defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 148. This is the manufacturing technology episode of our podcast, which covers all things related to digital transformation every week. We cover strategy, people, process, technology, and everything else you can imagine. And today's focus is on manufacturing tech. And speaking of manufacturing technology, we are going to dive into an implementation case study, a software implementation case study with Scott Jenke, 
Uh, actually, it's Dr. Scott Jenke, but don't worry, he's not just an academic guy. He he does have a PhD, but he has a lot of hands-on experience. And when you, you see him here in a second, you'll realize he's not uh, an ivory tower sort of manufacturing technology guy. So good to have him on the show. He's going to be here talking about a case study with Kyler uh, about a recent implementation that we did with a manufacturer of, of software implementation. Um, so with that being said, let's roll the clip. I've been in consulting most of my career, uh, going on 30 plus years, uh, but also spent a, a number of uh, uh, positions in operations, both at a, a VP level as, and a C level as well. Uh, and just kind of spent my uh, the last couple decades just mirroring up the fact that uh, technology alone is meaningless unless it actually does some transformation of the operation. So uh, uh, glad to be here. Um, Let's see, the, the, the case study that uh, I'm bringing to the table today, uh, we were brought in to do a, an assessment of an active project uh, within the packaging industry. This, uh, this organization is uh, quite large, uh, 20 plus billion in revenue. Uh, and I think over, probably starting before COVID, but uh, throughout COVID uh, acquired and has grown quite a bit in their operational and realized um, after the fact that their technology didn't meet uh, or didn't fit well with the current business model. So uh, this particular client went through the evaluation, decided to move forward with uh, an ERP platform uh, and brought us in to kind of do that double check. Uh, for those who have spent time on our on YouTube and LinkedIn, other uh, video sources, uh, we spent a lot of time as third stage in providing guidance towards organizations uh, to navigate through the landmines uh, within an implementation. So that was exactly what this, uh, this group hired us. Um, very large project going on probably about five years and, and well over uh, north of $250 million. So uh, they were right to uh, be hesitant and be um, looking out for the threats that might be uh, lurking behind uh, closed doors to make sure that this large uh, transformation project uh, goes well. Absolutely, that insurance policy, right, as we kind of talk about it for your transformation. So when you are engaged with a company specifically of that size, because it sounds like a pretty complex and obviously very expensive project, um, where do you start in those types of health assessments Um for technology implementations, um, or just to make sure that the implementation is on track to achieve maximum business results? Yeah, um, something we do uh, in all of our projects, uh, both in a strategy type engagement, but also prior to embarking upon a, an, uh, an ERP selection, is we really do an assessment of the, the leadership and find out exactly where they're going, where they're steering the ship. Um, technology, like I mentioned, means very little unless it uh, truly uh, transforms, but uh, uh, just increases the efficiency and effectiveness of the organization. So we usually start even an assessment on a project that has already started. Uh, we go back to the beginning. You know, what what is the what was the, the driving um, factors in going forward with a, a large ERP implementation? Uh, what are the strategies? What's the goals and objectives of the organization 5, 10, 15 years from now? And what were those general pain points and thresholds and and concerns they had with their current infrastructure, why they went down this path. Um, we, we tend to really push hard on uh, our cl uh, clients as well as our prospects of before they embark upon a, a big transformation project, they really have to be committed to do that. Uh, I think everyone should not be surprised that uh, ERP implementations are, are difficult, challenging, long, expensive, 
Uh, and not only do you want to go through the implementation successful, but why were you do doing the implementation in the first place, right? What were the goals and objectives of the organization? So uh, even coming in midstream in a, in a project, we still go back to the beginning. Because at the end of the day, when things are difficult uh, at Go Live or maybe the year after Go Live, uh, the executives are going to start scratching their heads because they probably have forgotten why they started on this journey in the, in the first place. Uh, so having that refreshed in their minds lets them go through this process and get through those difficult times because it is trying to achieve something successful for the project or for the company. Yeah. Absolutely. And you mentioned mergers and acquisitions, which is something we see a lot um, here at Third Stage. What are some unique challenges to a company that is large, um, that is acquiring other companies from a technical and operational perspective? Um, we spend a lot of time at Third Stage on the communication and change management aspects of, of projects and transformations. Um, and, and really, the, the answer to that question and hopefully a direct uh, path is listening to your people, understanding what those challenges and obstacles are. Uh, even if you uh, are a single company and you go out over five years and buy a, another company every year and they have an in infrastructure and an ecosystem of working technology, at the end of the day, they still represent five distinct companies and do, does not represent a holistic view of that umbrella of organization. So uh, even through successful mergers and acquisitions, you still have to assimilate those organizations. We, we don't ever expect that a single platform uh, from one vendor will satisfy all the needs of a large organization like the one I mentioned at the beginning of this call. Uh, but it's being very diligent and strategic of when you decide to go after an application that we would either call a fringe application or a point solution uh, that the the point solution a better fit for the organization than the, the ERP platform. But most of the time when we go through these ERP selections, it's because they've had all these little small little point solutions that have just accumulated over the years. Uh, but if you tag on that with uh, mergers and acquisitions, it, it doubles that, it triples that. Uh, and at the end of the day, is the C-suite or even the, the, the lieutenants underneath them, uh, are they getting the right data refreshed and current to make decisions? Uh, when you go through mergers and acquisitions, they tend to operate still independently. And we're just transferring chunks of data from one company to the other. And that's not a, a very effective or efficient way of running your organization. Uh, so, but you have to take the time and understand what are those pain points and obstacles that your team is facing uh, and bubble that up to a holistic strategic transformation uh, project. Yeah, definitely a tall order um, yeah. as well, a big, Absolutely. big project. Yeah, um, and, and choosing a new software for the entire organization obviously will not only affect those kind of siloed um, M&A cultures that you had mentioned, but also the, the organization as a whole, obviously. So when you are a, a very, you know, large, complex organization, I can assume it can be kind of challenging to buy off-the-shelf software. Is there a higher level of customizations? And, and how do you ensure that those customizations, you don't fall down the black hole of customizing everything, um, as opposed to leaning on the structure of the core um, ERP system? Well, believe it or not, I, I actually think that a lot of these homegrown systems start off with smaller companies um, uh, because they can't afford to go out and buy a modern uh, solution. Uh, so they, they usually have a couple of IT hackers uh, inside the organization 
they go off and, and acquire if they already don't already have something like a SQL Server uh, uh, backend, and they start developing their own stuff. Uh, and that's absolutely the best fit to an organization, but the absolute worst way to grow the organization. Uh, and many times, uh, in fact, I had a couple of calls today uh, of a smaller, smaller firms than the one I mentioned. Uh, and not only do they have some off the shelf software, but they have a number of homegrown databases and dashboards and all that stuff. Well, guess what? When that one IT person leaves, right? All that information goes away. And in many times, if they are a company that has a, a, a number of on-premise uh, applications and they do some customizations because it is um, on-premise and they are, have the skill set, good or bad, to actually develop some customized applications, we get called in to say that some of these updates on the software and security patches haven't been done in decades. And so just all kinds of risk assessments start flaring off that, uh, yes, if you want to have the absolute best fit, maybe customize is, the, is what you're thinking. Uh, but from a long-term sustainability, that is uh, something we rarely uh, suggest or recommend. Uh, like I mentioned before, if, if there is something on an ERP platform uh, that doesn't fit them exactly the way they want it to meet, and rather than going down the customized uh, path, is to look for a point solution in that one area. Uh, case in point, uh, a lot, almost all of the ERP uh, vendors, if not all of them, have some form of a CRM. Uh, some way that they can track leads that turns into customers, but some of them are very basic and none of them go to the level of a, of a truly built solution like, let's say, Salesforce. So if they're only doing some email campaigns and they're just tracking contacts, the ERP solution is just fine. But if they already have a tool like Salesforce and they like it, uh, most of the contacts that we have with the ERP vendors will recommend staying with that and integrating together. So there's still a need to have point solutions. It's just a matter of, again, going back to what is the goal and objective of the organization and what do they need to be competitive in, in the marketplace? Back office applications do not need to be customized in my opinion, right? They're, they're do it like out of the box, but if it's something unique about your product line, reaching customers, reaching markets, and you need something more tailored, still a customized solution is probably not the path, but maybe a point solution is on that area. So something I wanna unpack there, Scott, is those bolt-on applications can be industry specific, right? Um, so that a lot of times we're talking about in packaging today, but whether you're in automotive or heavy manufacturing, you do have the opportunity to, um, to get that specificity um, in your overall technology stack. Is that correct? Yeah, there, there's a couple of ways of doing that. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. Is that, you know, uh, Eric Kimberling, our, our CEO and, and founder, uh, has said this numerous times in, in engagements where, where I've been a, a senior manager or a director on. Um, this whole concept of best of breed is kind of overused. Uh, it's more of like best of your needs. Uh, and there's certainly something out there that would meet that. Um, there's a couple of different things to go about that. Either it is a standalone application warehouse management or distribution management or transport uh, management system that's unique to your industry, go after those if that truly is going to be a competitive advantage. If it's not, use what comes with the ERP package. Uh, the other thing is that there are a lot of system integrators that have relationships with the ERP vendors and they will build onto their the native platform 
industry-specific functionality by vertical, right? Automotive, um, shipping, those kind of things. And, and so part of the due diligence of selecting an ERP vendor is also deciding if the ERP vendor is going to be implementing the, their package themselves or if they're going to recommend a partner. And during the sales cycle and our assistance when we've done, uh, done this is to make sure that they're looking at system integrators that have that expertise in that vertical. Uh, so there's always a couple of different options of how to meet your technology needs, but also have it be not so vanilla that you have to kind of work as if you're working in an industry. There are paths to follow that are very industry specific. I think that's good. That's definitely good information, especially for um, our community in the packaging industry or in any industry that you're in. Um, engaging with experts like Third Stage gives you the opportunity to kind of go down industry specific technology opportunities. Um, so that's definitely really important. We're here with a conversation with Scott Janke talking about a case study of manufacturing technology software implementations. We're going to continue the conversation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Grammage. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 148. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And we're here in the midst of a conversation with Scott Jenke talking about a manufacturing software implementation case study. Let's jump back into the conversation. Uh, there is something that's that's unique, I think, to some of these packaging companies, especially those that are uh, lumber or paper-based, um, is that a lot of the technology today is going to make its way into the mills and the plants. And while, while it's probably safe to say that uh, the workforce that are actually on the factory floor aren't necessarily uh, going to be the highest skilled level from a technology standpoint, but some of these environments are also pretty nasty. And so from a, a dust, from a debris, from a heat, from a cold. And so part of the selection process that are specific to the packaging industries, if they have mills or plants that are associated with their organization, is also focus on extreme ease of use in tracking whether it's shift level, whether it's an order level, but making it so that the folks on the plant floor, if they're going to be engaging with the technology, which most of these platforms allow that or require that, is to make it as simple as possible to track key information. Don't make it over complex. So some of these industry specific solutions are tailored towards even the work environment that these screens or these monitors or these tablets are going to be working within uh, to make it again as easy as possible for good data to be entered into the system. Yeah, that's fascinating um, how, you know, micro level those um, 
those overall considerations um, can be specifically on, you know, the manufacturing floor of, of any industry. Um, that's important to consider for sure. Awesome. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit and kind of ask you about um, working on a project of this level. You are involved with a, a variety of third parties, I would assume, from a system integrator to a software vendor to other implementation resources to support. How does third stage fit into working with all of those different community base for the project? I'm going to say this with a, with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but uh, uh, in many cases, uh, the technology will solve itself, meaning they're, the SI and the software vendor are expected to deliver the technical expertise to implement their own software. And I would say 95% plus of all new modern systems that we're, we're assisting with are all cloud-based, right? So all the infrastructure is kind of taken care of. And what the folks on the on the field are going to be doing is much more of the technical design integrations and the like but one thing that's lacking in that that perspective is kind of the user business advocate and so third stage fits in that role pretty nicely because we we want to make sure that the the technology side of it the si and the the, the erp vendor understands that we're not trying to encroach on their area of expertise. That's what they're hired for. That's what they do. They do it all the time. Our role is much more on the business operational change management aspect. So when we engage with a, with a large client, with a large project, uh, we become not only kind of that PMO eyes of the business, because uh, many of them don't have a lot of PMs uh, sitting around waiting on a large project like this, uh, but it's really getting down to the user base so we get into workshops and requirements, and especially during design and training and, and deployment, we become kind of a, a second leg or second arm to the user community and making sure that their needs are met with the software vendors. Um, one thing we have seen, and, and no you know, disrespect, but a lot of times the, the SIs bring technical expertise to the table, but they're lacking in the business understanding. So our user community will sit there and have lots of workshops with the technical SMEs. Everyone's shaking their head, they get it. They go off and do some design or prototype, they come back and it's 50% of what we talked about. And so, because they don't understand how to translate the business need into how to configure a system. Uh, and many times left to its own uh, uh, terminal end, uh, it doesn't go very long and it doesn't go very far. And so a lot of the, the projects get uh, delayed uh, the, the acceptance criteria of going into production gets lower or gets delayed as well. So our involvement tends to be a lot more of the, no, I'm hearing you talk, but you're missing the point. Here's the point. And all of a sudden light bulbs go off. So we, we definitely are, uh, if, uh, another word to use, a translator uh, between the business, the client, and the, um, the technical team that's actually from the software vendor. Yeah, and it sounds like you're almost like an advocate for the business, just reminding everyone that there needs to be ROI or whatever objective you're looking to achieve. Yep, and it's uh, and it's and it's really that that interaction where we may define an area where configuration of out of the box isn't possible, right? That this is an area that needs to be customized. Uh, every client today says we want a system completely out of the box. That is wishful thinking. Uh, the goal is more of let's minimize customization as much as possible. 
but let's not eliminate the opportunity to customize something a little bit out of the box uh, that if it meets the business need, let's do that. Uh, as long as it doesn't change any kind of system support in the future. When the customization starts becoming overkill is when we have kind of a, a one-off conversation of, is this the best path or are there a, is there another solution out there we can acquire and implement and integrate with the ERP platform just to keep that customization of the ERP as low as possible. Absolutely. And when you say customization in this size of a project, who owns that? Is that the SI? Is that the software vendor? What? How can um, you know potential partners of Third Stage ensure that they're owning kind of that intellectual property? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it kind of depends. Um, if you go with a, with an SI that is industry focused, like I mentioned, they've taken a, a platform and added more functionality to it, and that's supported. Uh, anything extra on top of that is probably going to be within the SI's wheelhouse. Um, unless it's truly, truly customized and it's kind of a standalone thing that maybe the SI built, uh, most of it's going to stay within the, the, the software genre. Um, uh, it's hard to break apart because the, the real big push on the cloud computing is that uh, they have multi-tenant environments that have, you know, automatic pushes for updates and security enhancements to everyone working in there. And so anything that is unique to you is most likely going to reside within that ecosphere for you itself, but something that they could potentially leverage for others. Um, the, the one thing that, that we ask and have engaged with uh, software vendors at the beginning of an implementation is that if we go down a path with one vendor versus the other, but their functionality isn't just there for the, the client, we have worked out arrangements where the, the software vendor does build customized functionality for the client, but at a greatly reduced rate, because their goal is to deploy that to all their clients or all those clients within that industry. So it may be customization initially, but it's something the software vendor will deploy and support uh, and the client gets kind of the, the cost benefit because they don't have to pay the full up configuration or else they wouldn't have gone with that vendor in the first place. So there's a lot of different ways to slice and dice this. It's a matter of degrees of customization. And that's another role that we fill. Yep. Yeah. And again, kind of taking that advocate stance um, because you have had those conversations with other clients in the past um, and being able to kind of navigate that because it sounds, for lack of a better term, a little messy. <laughs> <laughs> or can be at times. Um, so when, you, when you're going into specifically maybe not only this project, but to do that health check, what are some of the main themes that you pull out when it comes to opportunities or misses when um, implementation plans uh, you evaluate? I'll, I'll, uh, uh, I'll talk uh, two different themes that we tell clients. And actually, when we first meet with a prospect, uh, I'll give them these two nuggets and they, they can do whatever they want with it is um, everyone focuses on the look and feel of a system. Everyone focuses on the functionality of what it does processing. But at the end of the day, it's going to be what is on the screen and what comes in a report. Because uh, that's how they're going to view whether the system is working the way they want it to. So the first and foremost is is data. Uh, there's There's not one industry that we can talk about that over time, if you go back to all these multiple systems, homegrown systems, old legacy systems, data typically is a mess. 
Um, and most modern ERP platforms have changed everything from number of characters in the field and those kind of things. So even legacy data that's clean doesn't map 100% to the new fields in a new system. So getting ahead of data is absolutely the most important thing uh, prior. But for our perspective from third stage and what I've spent, uh, like I mentioned, the last couple of uh, decades in this area is, is on the change management. I, people are such the big key. After the fact, like I said, technology will typically work its way uh, through the implementation. The people need to be backfilled on implementation them, themselves, right? They, they can't do a day job and work full-time on, on a project. But after the fact, when two months after the SI has gone home and they're using the system and all of a sudden they're doing quarterland close for the first time and they run in through all these issues is not to panic, right? And they need that support mechanism. Most companies, even the largest ones, uh, run pretty lean from a headcount perspective. When you embark upon not only just an ERP implementation, but a transformation, which means you're looking at your processes and training and skill sets, all that kind of good stuff. Um, don't minimize that. That is something that is kind of near and dear to our hearts, uh, but something that usually trips people up because as the business advocates in these implementations, uh, we tend to be the first line of defense when the user base starts complaining that they don't have the support to make it to go live, let alone support after go live. So spending time and understanding that you need to elevate the workforce, you need to elevate the skill set, but more importantly, kind of tying in the motivation of why we're doing this. So everyone is in a sales job. I don't care what role you're in. You have to encourage the people that work for you. You have to sell ideas to leadership. Uh, now's a good time to embark upon that whole communication and change management because that's what's going to carry you going forward. All right. Thank you, Kyler and Scott. Great conversation. Great case study. Very interesting. And hopefully that provides some, some interesting benchmarks and uh, tips and lessons from uh, one of our recent clients helping them implement technology in a manufacturer. We're going to continue this thread of manufacturing technology throughout this entire episode, starting or continuing next with a discussion around uh, trends in manufacturing tech and systems, as well as top terms and definitions. So uh, stick around. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? I'll give you anything. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, the podcast that covers everything in enterprise technology. Today is our manufacturing technology focused episode. And I am happy to welcome Eric Kimberling that's going to take us through terms and definitions of manufacturing, as well as some main trends for 2024 in the industry. So with that, let's welcome Eric. 
we're finding more and more over time that technology is significantly impacting how manufacturers operate, and it's providing game-changing capabilities that really give them a competitive advantage in the marketplace. You certainly have software technologies like ERP systems. A lot of organizations are going through digital transformations of some sort. You have manufacturing execution systems. You have robotics, robotic process automation, a lot of different technologies that are enabling manufacturers to improve their operations. And I'm not gonna dive into each of those technologies in this video, but what I do wanna talk about in this video are some of the key technologies that are totally changing the way manufacturers operate. And the idea here is to give you some ideas on how you might leverage some of these technologies to define a digital strategy and roadmap to help improve your manufacturing operations. Now, for more information on this topic, I encourage you to download our annual digital transformation report. It's a report we publish each year that provides a number of best practices, tips, and lessons from digital transformations throughout the world. And it also includes a ranking of some of the top leading manufacturing technologies that can help enable digital transformation within your manufacturing organization. So I encourage you to download that report to provide some additional best practices and background information to help you through your digital transformation journey. One of the most important themes that we're seeing within the manufacturing technology space is Industry 4.0. Now I have a video on my YouTube channel, which you can find right here, that talks about what exactly Industry 4.0 is. So I encourage you to look at that video or watch that video if you'd like to learn more detail about Industry 4.0. But to summarize it here, what Industry 4.0 is, is really a way to tie together robotics, manufacturing operations, Internet of Things, and other technologies to really help automate the end-to-end -end cycle within a manufacturing organization. Some of the key components of Industry 4.0 include manufacturing execution systems, which are technologies that automate and capture data on the shop floor as assembly lines and work in progress is moving through the end-to-end -end business processes. It also includes Internet of Things to capture data, not only in the sensors and in the shop floor, but potentially in other devices as well. Could be customer devices or other third-party devices and other data points that's integrated into the overall Internet of Things. And then of course, those robotics as well. So you have robotics that's automating much of the work that was done manually by humans in manufacturing or producing or assembling different materials. So the good thing with Industry 4.0 is it's really providing a more complete comprehensive view of the end-to-end -end business process from procurement of raw materials all the way through production manufacturing, warehousing, and ultimately to your end customers. And it's providing better visibility and greater visibility into data throughout that entire end-to-end -end life cycle. And it's also providing automation tools through that end-to-end -end life cycle as well. So Industry 4.0 is something that's totally transforming and changing the way technology is used in manufacturing organizations throughout the world. Now, just as Industry 4.0 is transforming the way manufacturers operate their core manufacturing operations, you also have digital supply chains. Supply chains are being automated and being provided with better data, capturing better data, both internally and externally, to allow manufacturing organizations to better plan and predict where raw materials and finished materials need to be at what time. Ever since the pandemic especially, we're seeing here in the 2020s that organizations have a lot of work to do to improve their supply chains and make their supply chains more predictable, more nimble, and more agile. So 
leading manufacturing organizations are using supply chain technologies to help improve the way that they run their supply chains. And there's a number of different technologies that you can use to enable a digital supply chain, things such as ERP or enterprise resource planning technology. You have core supply chain management solutions that are technologies focused exclusively on supply chain management. And there are also other point solutions that can automate just certain parts of your supply chain. So things like procurement software that focuses on really optimizing your procurement process. And you also have transportation management software that manages trucks and logistics of moving your products from warehouses to customers. And then you also have warehouse management technologies that help automate the warehouse itself, the whole pick, pack, and ship, and the cycle counting physical inventory process. So there are a number of different technologies out there that you have to choose from to help enable a digital supply chain now and in the future. And that's something that we see more and more manufacturing organizations doing here in the 2020s. Another technology trend we're seeing in the manufacturing space is the term called interoperability. And interoperability is a way to describe how multiple systems can talk to one another and provide a cohesive set of business processes and technologies and data sets to automate and provide operations for manufacturing organizations. Now this is especially important for manufacturing organizations, even though it's something we see in other industries as well, because manufacturing organizations are very complex. They have a diverse set of business processes and technologies and data coming from multiple sources that require in many cases a best of breed or multiple technology sort of solution. And while it's possible that you could go find a single enterprise-wide technology like an ERP system to automate most of your manufacturing operations, it's rare that you're gonna find one technology that can automate everything end to end from your procurement all the way through your supply chain management, through the manufacturing and warehouse management, logistics, all the way to your end customers. So manufacturers more than most industries really rely on this concept of interoperability. And what interoperability entails is making sure that you're open to multiple technologies. And at the same time, you assess how well those different technologies can talk to one another and integrate into a cohesive solution. Easier said than done, of course, but it is something we're seeing more organizations focus on in the manufacturing space. And the reason that this has become more important and more viable in recent years is because now more than ever, you have better integration tools and better platforms to enable this sort of interoperability model. 10 or 20 years ago, it was very painful to go through a deployment with multiple systems because it was so difficult to tie together the integration points and the architecture and the data flow between different systems. But now you have other technologies in the marketplace that enable interoperability better than we have seen in the past. There's products like Palantir, Snowflake, even the Force platform within Salesforce. These are platforms that you can deploy almost like middleware, but different, more advanced version of middleware that can tie together multiple technologies and provide a way to tie together multiple data sets and multiple business processes within your manufacturing operations. So interoperability is one of the key technology trends that we're seeing within the manufacturing space here in the 2020s. Given the potential of technology in the manufacturing space, what it's doing is it's allowing manufacturing organizations to focus more on the end customer experience. It's providing better data, better visibility into what customer needs and wants are, what customer demand is, and really focusing on satisfying that customer demand. In addition to there being more opportunity with technology to provide a better customer experience, you have customer expectations 
that manufacturers provide more of a consumer level or consumer grade type of experience of interacting with their organizations. In other words, you have a group of customers that are used to dealing with Amazon and Alibaba and social media outlets, really easy to use technologies. They're also used to self-service and they're used to getting what they want when they want it. So customers are largely driving and demanding from manufacturers a different way of operating, a different way of thinking, and a different way of satisfying customer expectations. So the combination of better technologies with increasing demand and requirements from customers themselves is largely what's driving a focus on customer experience within manufacturing organizations. Now, while this isn't by itself a technology trend per se, it is an end result that many manufacturers are focused on achieving with some of the technological trends that I'm talking about in this video so far. Now, all these different technologies that I've talked about so far today are sort of wrapped together with business intelligence. You think about Industry 4.0 and advanced supply chain management and some of the other things I've talked about here today, and what that entails is the capturing of more data. You've got more information, more potential visibility into your operations, into your customer needs, into your overall supply chain, but that data is only useful if you have a way to report on it in a way to make meaning from it. So business intelligence tools are a way to complete that loop in the process. So with business intelligence tools, which can either be a standalone business intelligence tool that bolts onto other technologies, or many technologies provide business intelligence modules as part of their core capabilities, you can use these tools either way that can help you have that visibility through better real-time analytics, business intelligence, and other quantitative measures. So business intelligence is something that's totally transforming the way manufacturers operate now versus how they have in the past. Okay, Eric, thanks for taking us through those really important trends when it comes to digital manufacturing and what that will really look like as far as the future state within the industry. Now we're going to switch gears to run a clip from Eric's YouTube channel on manufacturing terms and definitions. We talked about the importance of language at the beginning of this episode, so it's going to be critical that you are speaking on the same terms as your industry or your business. Uh, so with that, Eric, let's go through some terms and definitions and we'll roll the clip. Manufacturing has a lot of unique terms and definitions that are critical to understand in order to be successful in the world of manufacturing. It's an industry that I happen to love. It's where I started my consulting career was in the manufacturing space. So it's a space I enjoy working in, but I also understand that there's a lot of complex topics that may or may not make a lot of sense if you're new to the industry or if you're just trying to brush up on what some of those key concepts are. So what I wanna talk about today are those top 10 definitions that are most important for you to understand in your career in manufacturing. One of the first things to understand is the type of manufacturing that you're doing or that your organization does. And there's two primary types of manufacturing. You have discrete manufacturing and you have process manufacturing. Discrete manufacturing is probably the more common or the more traditional type of manufacturing. It's the production of widgets or tangible things that are units of one or actual objects. When you talk about Process manufacturing, on the other hand, that's related more to things like food and beverage. So there are things that involve a recipe or mixing materials to create something that can't be reversed. And that's probably the best way to think about it is, is process manufacturing you can't undo. Whereas discrete manufacturing, you could technically take apart all the different pieces and components of that discrete product. Process manufacturing, you're blending a bunch of things together to create a finished product that you can't undo. So something like uh, food or a beverage 
alcohol, whatever the case may be, those are things that would fall in the space of process manufacturing. Depending on the type of manufacturing firm you work for, you're probably going to see either make to stock types of environments or make to order, or you may see both actually. So make to stock is when you produce your products and you store them in a warehouse until you get the orders and then you ship them out. That's the simplest way to put it. Make to order would be you don't build anything until you get the order from the customers, or at least you have projected demand from a customer that you're building for. So make to order would be to build something that's either for an existing customer order, or it could be that you're also producing it for anticipated demand that you think you'll ship very quickly. Whereas make to stock is you're gonna let it sit on a shelf until the orders come in and you'll let it, let it ship whenever it comes in. Now, make to order is more common with larger, more complex products. So when you have a highly engineered or highly configurable type of product, that's more likely to be make to order. In some cases, there's another step within make to order or another version or variation, which is actually engineer to order, which is sort of a subset of make to order. And that is because it involves more complex engineering, but the general concept is the same. Whereas make to stock is gonna be things that are more high volume commodity types of things that you may not have clear demand or it's not very predictable as far as what the demand is, or it may be that you have to stockpile inventory just to make sure you're satisfying your customers. So in those cases, that might be more of a make to stock environment. Material resource planning is one of the most critical components and really the heart of manufacturing. In fact, this is the area that I actually first learned within manufacturing was the whole concept of MRP. And MRP is essentially the way that you translate anticipated demand or anticipated needs for production. You're translating that into an actual production schedule. So you're trying to figure out what do I think I need to produce? When do I have to produce it by? And then how does that translate into my production schedule? And it's not just scheduling the production on the shop floor within the manufacturing plant, it's also anticipating when you might need to order raw materials to support that production. So it's a very complex process. It requires a lot of data, a lot of assumptions, a lot of projections, and a lot of systems and human intervention to make sure that you've got the right MRP process to ensure that you're building the right product at the right time for the right customers. So MRP is something that's critical to understand and it's a critical part of any sort of technology that might automate your manufacturing operations. The building block of any product that your organization might manufacture is going to be your bill of material. And the bill of material is a sort of master data that resides within a system that defines exactly how the product is made. So at the top level, you have your finished product. And then underneath that, you have a hierarchy of different components and raw materials that go into that finished product. And the reason this is so important is that's the diagram or the blueprint for how you're going to build the product. And it also defines how you're going to order raw materials and how you're going to route the manufacturing on the shop floor. And so it really defines how the manufacturing processes and the materials are all going to come together to create the finished product. It will also capture costing information too. So it'll capture the estimated or the actual cost of all the different components and materials and even the labor that goes into building that final product. And that's important too, because that ultimately should trickle back to your finance and your accounting so that you can track your work in progress, you can track your profitability, you can track your overall cost, all that good stuff. So the bill of material is a critical part of any manufacturing process. Bill of materials go hand in hand with something called routing. And routing is what takes the bill of materials and it routes what the steps in the manufacturing process are. So 
typically you would have a technology that would define for the machine shop operators on what the steps in the process are. It would define when something should move to the next step and where it should go. And that way people don't have to go off memory or go look up papers to figure out what to do next after they've done a step in the process. So the routing is what defines what happens to that bill of materials and what the steps are to get through the manufacturing process to end up with that final product. And so in the case of both routings and bill of materials, those are both considered master data elements within the manufacturing world. Those are things that are sort of the parameters or the guardrails, the diagram or the blueprint for how products are made and how they're routed through the entire operations. There's also a concept called machine shop. And what a machine shop is essentially is most people understand or see the, the really cool manufacturing conveyor belts that go down a line and everyone's assembling or adding things along the way. And that's good for high volume commodity type products where it's a very repeatable process. You're running high volumes through. A good example would be like a food manufacturer that produces candy bars, you know, Hershey's. You're gonna see an assembly line that kind of goes down the line and it's gonna crank massive amounts of product down that assembly line. But when you have lower volume environments or more custom environments, you, you tend to have more of a machine shop environment where you have one self-contained machine shop area where you're doing a number of steps to configure or tailor a product for specific customer needs. Now this isn't common or as common in the food and beverage or the consumer product type of manufacturing environments. It's more common in industrial or business to business type of manufacturing. So if someone is buying you know, sheet metal or wood products, it might be that you have a machine shop to cut the wood, to uh, tailor it for however you need to sand it, to, to stain it, to paint it, whatever the steps might be. A lot of times that might be a self-contained machine shop for some of those steps. And it, the product can go from one machine shop to another, but generally it's more human intervention. It's more highly targeted types of processes and is usually lower volumes and more custom environments. Another critical concept for manufacturers is this whole concept of warehouse management. And warehouses are usually attached to or right next to a manufacturing plant or at least very close. And generally what happens is once you've completed a product, it goes back to the warehouse, either to go straight out the door to a customer or to go on the shelf if you're a make to stock type of producer. And so the warehouse is very important and the warehouse management concept is keeping track of where those products go, where they've been placed, where they should go. And ultimately when it comes time to pick, pack and ship and ship the products out the door to the customers, a system will typically keep track of where you've kept those finished products. Now, warehouses are also used to store raw materials. So your raw materials will typically come in the door from your supplier, gets put on a shelf and stored in the system so you can track where it's at. So that when it comes time to produce and convert those raw materials into finished products, people know where to get the product. So that whole concept of warehouse management, all the nuances and logistics that go into that, that's essentially what warehouse management means. And there's specific technologies out there that handle warehouse management, but it's important to understand the general concept. Another very common concept in manufacturing these days is lean manufacturing. Lean manufacturing essentially is being fast, reducing cost, and minimizing inventory. It's a broad generalization, but in general, that's what lean manufacturing is. And lean manufacturing actually originated back in the 70s and 80s when a lot of Japanese companies introduced the concept to American companies via their total quality management. And they also brought Kaizen and lean manufacturing, Six Sigma, a lot of those other related concepts to America. 
And lean manufacturing is sort of a general umbrella of concept that focuses on reducing costs, reducing inventory, reducing waste, and ultimately streamlining the overall manufacturing process. Something that's very important to understand within manufacturing processes is the whole concept of bottlenecks. And bottlenecks are a common problem with manufacturers. Most organizations have them. Most of them are on a never-ending quest to eliminate all bottlenecks, although I'd argue it's impossible to eliminate them all because once you've eliminated one, oftentimes you create another or another one pops up elsewhere. But the whole concept of bottleneck is that you might have slack or extra capacity in certain areas of your manufacturing operations or certain steps in your manufacturing process. But there might be some where you're constrained. You don't have enough people, you don't have enough machines, your processes are moving too slow. So you might be producing high volumes of certain components and certain steps in the process, and then it hits a step in the process that slows down because you don't have enough capacity or enough efficiency to be able to process it all. So organizations are constantly looking for ways to eliminate and minimize those bottlenecks. And it's really a key core competency of good manufacturing organizations is that they understand this concept of bottlenecks and they understand how to eliminate them. Now, the last thing I'll talk about today is sales and operations planning. That's a key part of manufacturing because it really ties together manufacturing to the rest of the organization. And not only does it tie together other parts of the organization, it's actually tying back to the sales process and back to the customers. So sales and operations planning is really looking at what we think our demand is and forecasting that demand and then planning our production and our operations and our manufacturing around that anticipated demand. And the idea is that in a perfect world, you predict with great accuracy when the orders are going to come in and what customer demand is going to look like. You've anticipated it, so you've produced just in time to be able to get the products out the door and ship the product right when the customer actually places an order. Obviously, that utopia never happens 100% accuracy, but that's really what we're all striving for is figuring out how can we improve our SNOP processes to where we get better at predicting demand and ultimately we're getting better at translating that sales and demand into production that matches that sales and demand. Well, big thank you to Eric for taking us through some of those those key terms and definitions, as well as some trends within the digital manufacturing industry. Just a reminder, those are on his YouTube channel, as well as some additional content you can find around manufacturing technology. So highly recommend checking those out. You are listening to Transformation Ground Control, the podcast on all things enterprise tech and digital transformation. This is our manufacturing focus episode. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 148. My name is Eric Kimberling with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. At that website, you can uh, see all the platforms that you can listen and watch, so be sure to check that out. You can also go back and watch the catalog of all the past episodes that you may have missed of this show, so be sure to check it out. 
I'm excited for our final guest, last but not least, Mitch Otteson, a director here at Third Stage Consulting. He is uh, has been with the team for quite some time now, and he's going to be on to talk about, with Kyler, a case study around system architecture and design in manufacturing. And I'd say system architecture and design is even more important in manufacturing, even more so than other industries, just because you have so much complexity and so many varying... Um, such a variety of different functions that happen within manufacturing. You have the obviously the shop floor automation, but you have warehouse management, supply chain management, inventory management, demand forecasting, all the SNOP stuff. You have, you have a million things you've got to deal with as a manufacturer that creates a potential hodgepodge of systems. And so with that potential hodgepodge of systems comes the need for architecture and integration. Even if you're trying to streamline the number of systems you have, it's still really important to look at integration and architecture and design and how you tie these systems together. Cause it's pretty rare that a manufacturer can get away with one single system or platform to run the entire business. Usually you need multiple systems. So um, this will be interesting conversations, very important topic. So let's roll the clip with Mitch and Kyler talking about solution architecture and design in manufacturing. Hi Kyler, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely a hot topic, especially as we go into our 2022 trend series and talk about things like operational excellence and really that future state operating model. And I know that's something that's really in your wheelhouse here at um, uh, Third Stage. So I, I wanted to just start at the beginning by kind of defining what is a target operating model? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, that's exactly it, it is a target. Uh, so when you're looking at different types of operating models, um, a target operating model is the future state of your organization and how you want to go about executing um, on your initiatives and your strategies. So uh, very much a moving uh, fluid operating model, uh, but it is all about the future state and where you want to go. So that future state in those overall business strategies or future business strategies when it comes to implementing new technologies, that sounds a lot like the the overall enterprise strategy. Can you under, can you help us understand how closely those should be related, the hierarchy inter, enterprise strategies and then also the target operating model? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you really hit on something important is that those two things go together hand in hand. Um, the way that I like to view it is that your target operating model um, is the how behind how you want to go about attacking and executing on those um, enterprise level strategic initiatives. Um, so I like to view the, the enterprise goals and, and strategies as the what um, and the target operating model as the how. That's really well put. That's um, a perfect analogy. And, and so when we say the how, who is the who, if you will, in that? Um, who, who should really kind of lead the charge or or champion the target operating model? Is it mostly just the operations team and kind of siloed to them? Or does it need to be diversified across the organization? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for every organization, the, the answer to that is that it varies and it depends. Um, being an operations type model, um, I, I definitely see the operations folks being involved pretty heavily. So oftentimes it is a chief operations officer that is going to be leading the charge on something like this. Um, but with the amount of collaboration and buy-in across an organization that you need to implement an effective target operating model, um, there really needs to be a lot of collaboration across your business 
so identifying key stakeholders and getting their buy-in is going to be really important. Um, but generally, it is a, an operations person, COO, CIO, CTO, somewhere in, in that wheelhouse that's going to be the tip of the spear for uh, going through and doing something like this. Definitely. You know, that makes a lot of sense. And we we talk about, and you talk about with your clients, the, the importance of kind of cross-collaboration across the organization, um, just to make sure that you are optimizing every part of the business. And so I wondered if you could kind of give us some insight as to why is this concept of target operating model so critical to the success of any business transformation? And, and why are we kind of just hearing about it more now in 2022? Sure. Um, you know, I think that when we, we talk about digital transformation all the time, and some people may think that those things are that a target operating model is different from a digital transformation. Um, but really, I view a digital transformation as a type of a target operating model and something that can enable uh, your target operating model. So you can go through a digital transformation in order to gain efficiency, in order to um, gain skill sets, in order to gain um, the types of functions that you need to be able to achieve your target operating model. Um, so they really do build on each other as you're going through as an organization. So um, why we're hearing about them more and more uh, here in 2022, I think uh, so many more businesses are going through and realizing that they need to transform, they need to change the way that they do business. Um, and this is a very structured way of going through and doing that and making sure that you are leaving no stone left unturned and that you're actually you know, thoughtfully thinking about what the best way to change your business is. Absolutely. And, and where do kind of software vendors help to partner to define target operating models? Should they be involved in that at all? Or, or what does that look like in, in um, relation to selecting a new system or technology? You know, that's a really good question. I think when I look at where vendors fit into the equation, um, it, it boils down to the capabilities and the outcomes that the vendor can help to drive towards. So, you know, if you're looking at a new CRM, for example, um, the ability that you get from implementing that new CRM and, and providing some data insights or uh, better contact management or, you know, whatever the core competency that you're trying to get out of a technology transformation is, um, they can help to empower that and help to give you the tools that you need to execute your model. Um, but I, I don't think that they should be involved in helping you to set what your target operating model should look like. Um, they're, they're tools in your tool belt to help you get there. And what if you can't find a, a system that meets the needs of this new kind of future state operations that you're looking for? I assume probably every out of the box software doesn't fit exactly perfectly to every business. So how do you go about that? Do you need to shift your processes to fix to fit the technology, or do you need to find a new technology to fit your process? Uh, I think that that can depend on on how important that process is to your business. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a that's a conversation that we have all the time with our clients. Is uh, you want to be flexible with your business processes and and adjust to the software where it makes sense. Um, but there are some parts of your business that you just can't be flexible. They're non-negotiables, and that's you know, the secret sauce to your business. So being able to understand 
um, the difference between those two um, and, and going through and making the software fit your business could be the way to go or finding a new software altogether uh, that can help you maintain that competitive advantage that, that you want to maintain. We're here talking about system architecture and design in manufacturing. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 148. My name is Eric Kimberling with Kyler Cheatham and Kyler and Mitch Otteson from our team at Third Stage Consulting are here talking about system architecture and design in manufacturing. We've got a lot more to get into. Let's jump back into the conversation. Um, so I wondered if you could give us some examples of components of the targeting operator model. What would be involved in that? Um, the components of a target operating model, um, even though it sounds cliche uh, and you hear it from consultants all the time, it's your, it's your people, your process, and your technology. Uh, those are the, the components that I really look at when looking at a target operating model and putting one together. Um, so from a technology standpoint, it's what we were just discussing. Do I keep the technology that I have? Do I invest in modifying that technology or do I invest in uh, replacing that technology? From a people standpoint, it's do I have the right people working um, in the right processes, doing the right jobs, doing the right thing for um, our business at the right time um, and processes um, really is, you know, are we doing the things that need to, to be done at the right time in order to meet the needs of our customers? And how important is something like data involved in establishing a future state operating model? You know, I, I truly believe that data is the lifeblood of, of any of these transformations. You know, one of the biggest things that our clients come to us about is um, helping them with siloed operations. Mm -hmm. And they know that the data that they need exists, um, but it's either siloed in a location where other departments or other teams can't get to it, um, or it's in a place where it's just not able to be extracted for use. So having data at the fingertips and, and in front of the people that are making decisions um, is, is critical. And and how do you help a company kind of in, in that scenario where they may not have access or it may not be cleansed or just they can't make any actionable decisions from that data because it's not in any consumable format? Yeah, if, if you're working with a legacy system where the data isn't available to be shared, um, that is reason to evaluate a new enterprise technology solution to be able to bring that technology to the forefront of um, your, your people and, and to bring it to make it easily accessible for your team members. Um, if it's in a place where it needs to be cleansed, 
um, you know, there's data mapping processes and procedures that we step clients through um, to really say, here's what the data is that I'm looking at. Here's why it matters. Here's some other areas in my business where it's important. Um, and we help them to, to navigate what it looks like to bring data from one place to another. Excellent. Yeah, obviously, big data is such a huge trend as we go into 2022. And just, you know, being able to create data-driven st strategies is definitely something that businesses are, are learning so much more about. I, I wondered if we could kind of dig into the people side, because I assume, and you correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert, that there's not a ton of hard, really quantitative data around the people in the organization. So how do you help organizations that are establishing this operating model on the people side of saying, do I have so-and-so in the right roles? Do we have enough resources? And so on. Yeah. Uh, one of the exercises that I like to have my clients go through is a stakeholder analysis um, where they go, where we go through and we look at um, what are possible changes and, and who are the people that are in impacted by this and going and going through that analysis you can find out pretty quickly um, whose role maybe is no longer needed because they you know the technology is replacing a, a manual process um, and we can look for ways to to reallocate them within the business uh, so that then we're making sure that we're filling all the needs possible um, another way that we can look at it is to just do some process mapping and understand who's doing what um, we look for redundant prop, redundant processes, um, and we look for areas where you know we can reallocate and move people around, or identify areas where we need to train people uh, to level up their skill set to be able to handle um, what could be an increased workload. Absolutely, I, mean, I think that's so critical is really understanding that that is a main piece because when we, I think a lot of times our communities and audience. Um, and the overall industry can associate operations with things like analytics and not do the same thing when it comes to prioritizing their overall workforce communities, especially now when we are going through something like a global labor shortage and we need to be kind of creative about how yeah. we get our products and services to customers. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then so... In speaking of that, how do technologies support these operating models? And I wonder if you could give us some examples of maybe a best of breed system that could support a, a certain part of the business and optimize that, um, as opposed to obviously we know ERP can be the backbone of the overall organization, but I wondered if you could give us some, some smaller type examples. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... You know, technology, like we talked about before, really, it can be one of the drivers that will enable a, a, a target operating model. Um, and we talked about before getting data to the right people at the right time. So I worked with a client who um, used a spreadsheet instead of a CRM, um, and it was very siloed. Um, it was very much uh, the data was not consistent. Uh, some folks had no data at all. It was all in their heads. And so by putting it into a CRM and giving access to the rest of the organization, um, folks across the business were able to get valuable insights about customers uh, that they didn't even know existed before. So when a salesperson was talking to a client, they were taking notes about all the things that they, they wish they could do for, they were taking notes on all the things that um, they wish that their business could help them with. Um, mm -hmm. And they just sat there. 
And by putting in a CRM and, and opening that up to some of the folks on the operations and uh, different sides of the business, they're able to better match opportunities with some other products and services that they had available that are a good fit for that customer. Um, so just accessibility to data really opened up opportunity within their own existing client base that no one really knew about. It, it helped to break down that barrier and it's so much easier to add additional products and services to an existing customer than to sell to a new one. Absolutely. And, and when we talk about kind of that tribal knowledge concept of where you might have, you know, someone who owns a spreadsheet and guards it with their life or, you know, um, and another guy who's been there for 40 years, who's the only one that knows how to work a, a certain type of machine or program. How do you go about on just the overall sensitivity of that topic and saying, you know, we know that you have all of this great insight and will create value for you within the organization or make your job easier. How do you go about coaching clients through that process on the human side? You know, I think when you're looking at someone who has a ton of tribal knowledge, it, it's really important to, to make sure that that person feels valued and that they hear it from the organization because that is why oftentimes they're clinging onto that, that mm -hmm. tribal knowledge or that spreadsheet or, or whatever it is because um, that's the way they associate themselves with value to the organization. Um, and by, by letting them know, hey, this is incredibly valuable stuff that you've gleaned from our customers and we need to share it, we need to take action on it and um, you know, showing them what can be done with their knowledge, uh, I think has been very successful for our clients in the past uh, to be able to help uh, disperse that knowledge to the rest of their organization. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and creating value in that way that that employee really feels motivated, you know, that listening to them and understanding that this is going to let you get so much more done and automate those processes that might not have been the fun part of your job. Right. So just kind of opening, opening that awareness. Um, when it comes to your experience in crafting um, operating models or creating a future state for operations within the business, what are some, some considerations that companies typically overlook or that they should make sure that they're including within this process? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think one of the big things that we see with our clients is um, we coach them on how to not make just the decision in front of them and to not think about what the ripple effect of that decision is. So um, I mentioned before a stakeholder analysis, and, and that's a really helpful tool to go in and, and identify all the people that are going to be impacted by a change in a process or procedure. Um, and then you focus on the people aspect of what that looks like. So um, you know, we, for a client, we implemented a new tax solution that calculated sales tax for them. Mm -hmm. um, they had three full-time people dedicated to calculating sales tax. Um, so it was a big change because that essentially made those three people, you know, they no longer had to do what they were doing. Um, and it opened them up for new opportunities within the business. But there was also a client, there's also a customer impact um, where their customers were used to getting uh, information about tax in a certain way. And it came from a certain person. So we had to coach up their clients and their CPA uh, and a bunch of other people about what the change meant and um, you know, what to expect with the, with the change that came so that then no one was blindsided by a change. And I think understanding that ripple effect is uh, an area where we help our clients the most uh, because we think about things that are more than just the immediate people in front of them. Absolutely, all, 
all definitely important insights um, within the overall kind of holistic view of the business and establishing this really important structure. So I know for our digital stratosphere event, which is happening on February 8th through the 10th, which is a completely free event with three days packed full of really interesting subjects, keynotes, some special guests, you will actually be doing your keynote on um, the target operating model. So can you give us like maybe a little sneak peek or a few things that you're gonna maybe talk about? Yeah, uh, one of the things that I'd like to talk about in that is, you know, really working through case studies on, you know, what we've seen, how people have been impacted by going through and putting together a good uh, target operating model and, and really stepping through the current, uh, the previous state, the current state that we helped and, um, you know, where our clients are going by, by taking the time and, and doing this process right. It's, uh, it's not easy. It's not something that is not Time it is something that can be time consuming, uh, but at the end of the day, it's really important and it, it really is empowering for your business because it, it really shows how you plan on getting from A to B. All right. Thank you, Kyler and Mitch. Great conversation and great way to round out this episode to get into some of these architecture and integration sorts of um, and design sorts of things as it relates to manufacturing technology. That's all we've got for you. We've we've crammed as much as we possibly can in one episode, or at least I think we've crammed. We could probably go for another few hours, but we're gonna we're gonna call it right now, are we, Kyler? We're just gonna say, you know what? This is a good starting point. We'll do another follow up to this this episode, uh, but this gets us started. So uh, good. Well, thank you everyone for being here. Thank you, Kyler, for being here. Thank you to our guests uh, that were contributing to the case studies and discussions here today. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about our company, uh, you can go to thirdstage-consulting.com. And of course, if you want to watch uh, more episodes of the show, go to transformationgroundcontrol.com. We have new episodes that come out every Wednesday on various platforms. So you can find it all at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And uh, we at Third Stage Consulting help manufacturers throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. So whether you're trying to evaluate potential systems, define a roadmap, help execute a roadmap, uh, manage the project, handle organizational change or process improvements within a transformation, that's all stuff we do, and we do it for manufacturers, among other industries, but manufacturing is the industry we have the most experience in. So I'd be happy to chat with you about your needs. If you if you have the need, I've included my contact information below, as well as other resources. Be, be sure to check that out in the description field below. So I hope you all have a great day, and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control.